My name is David J. Harris Jr. Join me and millions of Americans around the country as we embrace liberty and freedom. This is the David J. Harris Jr. Show. Hello, friends. David J. Harris Jr. here, and today I have the honor and privilege of interviewing Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Thank you so, so much for taking the time to come on my show today. You bet. It's an honor to be with you. Uh, I watch everything you do online, so I'm a lot more excited to be with you in real life. Wow. A lot more fun. Well, that is a, uh, that's a blessing. That is, that's awesome. And I am absolutely loving your book. I'm loving your book. The first chapter just, I mean, it just, it grabs you as soon as you start reading it to just find out and see and get the inside perspective of what somebody inside the Trump administration's gone through, um, and then and then to know how the mainstream media twists and turns everything, everything, just nonstop. <laughs> so uh, speaking for myself, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, absolutely amazing book. You've got to get it. Uh, so chapter one, you start off and you're talking about how you guys were just whisked away. It was a total black, you know, blackout, top secret project. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. So it was December uh, 25th, Christmas night, 2018, and the president was taking a secret trip to Iraq for one of the military bases. He wanted to thank the troops and spend some time with them on Christmas. We were not allowed to tell our families where we were going. And it's odd to leave at any point and not tell your family, hey, I have to leave last minute. But to do so on Christmas night is a little bit uh, I think scary for, for most people. Yeah. Um, I just basically tucked my kids in. We'd finished cleaning up from dinner and wrapping paper. And I left late that night, went out to Andrews Air Force Base. And normally Air Force One is just absolutely lit up like a football stadium on a night game. And in this case, it was in the hangar, no lights. We took off with all the shades pulled, complete darkness, land in the desert in a war-torn area where they tell us on board, um, if you hear certain sounds, duck and cover, because that means we're under attack. Man. When they tell you that, you realize the severity and the seriousness of where you're going, but we're only gonna be on the ground a few hours. There are people, the men and women that serve in our military, that's what they do every day. Yeah. And it was pretty, I think, eye-opening for all of us to experience that and to have that kind of fear for just a few minutes, knowing this is what our, our men and women do every day. In that exchange, we come into the dining hall where there are hundreds of troops that have gathered, thinking they're gonna sit down with senior military leadership for a Christmas dinner. So they had no idea they had either. They no idea. No, I, and no the idea. president and first lady walk in <laughs> and the room just goes crazy. Some people wow. are like in shock, but they're screaming. Um, I mean, it was a pretty powerful moment to witness. And this happens and one of the young soldiers yells from the back of the room, Mr. President, I re-enlisted in the military because of you. Wow. And the president turns to him and says, and son, we're here because of you. And wow. this really amazing moment. And um, the president and first lady continue making their way around to all of the tables, thanking the troops. And that soldier comes up to me and says, Sarah, you have the worst job. You have such a tough job. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I yeah. take questions. You take bullets. Yeah. What I do is nothing compared to what you guys do. And he reaches up and tears the patch off of his shoulder and sticks it in my hand and says, Sarah, we're in this together. Wow. And I was like, this is what makes America special. This yes. is such a perfect reminder of how incredible our country is and why it's worth fighting for and why I'm so thankful for the people who do what they do and allow the rest of us to live here. Um, and I keep that patch on my desk as a reminder to never forget that. 
Did you tear up? Oh, I, I, <laughs> and I, I can barely tell the story without tearing up. And usually I do because it's just such a, when you think about how incredible it is that these young people are so willing yeah. to bravely go out and be in the middle of nowhere, spend months away from their families, sometimes missing the births of their children. Yeah. Um, I mean, so many of life's big moments that they don't get to be there for so that we can be there for ours right. and that we get to continue to live in the greatest country on earth. Um, and their willingness to do that is, I think, just so astonishing. It is. It is. I just I felt it in reading the reading that book and reading that chapter. You can just feel uh, I don't know about you, but I, I, you probably agree with this. But being around and knowing what this president has done and is doing for the troops, for the military, for our veterans, it just makes you feel that much more patriotic about our country and love of our history of our country. And, uh, and to see the, the absolute just slander and the derogatory way that so much in the mainstream media uh, talk about him and don't support it seems to me don't really support you know our veterans and, and military um there's such a growing just gap i think between individuals that love our country appreciate our country and those that i think really just want socialism absolutely that's one of the reasons i wanted to write the book was because uh, i wanted people to see the donald trump that i got to see mm. i spent nearly every single day with him for two and a half years wow. by his side traveled to more than 20 foreign countries uh, dozens of states and watched him in some of the most difficult moments, in moments of celebration, in moments uh, that were just challenging, dealing with outrageous adversity day after day. Mm -hmm. And every single day he still gets up and keeps fighting for America because yeah. he loves our country. And I hope people get to see that um, and feel that when they read the book. Well, I did. I, I did. And as well as so many other things that I didn't know about you personally, you know, growing up, I mean, you kind of grew up in this whole political environment, um, you know, for the, better or worse. For, yeah, for better or worse. It's like anybody that wants to know about the inside of politics or politi being in a, a political family, they're going to get that, too, from this book. So Bill Clinton wins the presidency. Your your dad uh, wins governorship and you move into the governor's mansion. And were you in Chelsea's old room? We, I was. So kind of weird, but we actually <laughs> share the same childhood bedroom. I was wow. you know, 13 when I moved in there, and she was um, a little less than 13 when they moved out. And so um, kind of a weird yeah. thing when you think about it, that this art, my, I guess, home that my family lived in longer than any other we ever have is the Arkansas Governor's Mansion. Still to this day, my parents, I think it's the longest place they've ever lived and where we called home for nearly 11 years. And I hear in the book, you talk about how uh, Chelsea's treehouse came tumbling down. It did. So there was a tornado um, that came roaring through the heart of Little Rock, which is where the Arkansas Governor's Mansion is. It's a historic district, um, not too far from the state capitol. And I was actually there by myself um, with state police because yeah. they're always there. And my dad was a couple blocks away at a reception. My mom was in Oklahoma City. And um, one of the troopers had told me to go down into the basement. So I go down there and the power like flickers. And I'm like, I'm not staying down here by myself. <laughs> so I come upstairs. And the second I get to the top of the stairs, there's a huge double-sized door at the front entrance that breaks open. The front entry table blows over. And I kind of freeze 
for a minute in total fear. Um, and I mean, all of the property around the governor's mansion was completely destroyed, wow. including Chelsea's playhouse. And I go running over to the security house and the trooper throws me into the bathtub because the tornado is literally coming across the house at that point, leans his body over me and then immediately starts yelling at me after we're very safe and says, I told you to stay in that basement. Next time I tell you, you stay there. And uh, I spent the rest of the night well into the wee hours of the morning going around with my dad um, through the neighborhood to check on people in our community mm. and start, um, you know, trying to put the pieces back together. Wow. We are talking to, obviously, here, Sarah Huckabee Sanders about her new book. you got to go get it, Speaking for Myself. Uh, I'm loving reading it. I'm not finished with it yet, but I'm absolutely loving all of it. Uh, I know you talk about and you get into some of what Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, some of the shenanigans, some of the things that they say right now even, I can't even imagine. As uh, uh, when you were press secretary and you would hear some of the things that Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer would say, how could you keep yourself so composed to be able to answer these stupid attacking questions? Uh, knowing what the opposition's out there saying. How did you keep your composure? Well, there were a lot of days I didn't want to. So. <laughs> um, but I knew at the end of the day it wouldn't serve the president well and it wouldn't mm. serve me well to get into an argument and yelling and screaming. And at the end of the day, our goal was to go out and do the very best we could to communicate the president's message. Yeah. And so I tried to block out the distractions and stop thinking about talking to the people in the room, but start thinking about talking to the people at home. And mm, when so I good. ignored the crowd and focused on the people that really mattered, yeah. then it made it a little bit easier. But there were moments <laughs> where, you know, I had to really like kind of count to 10 and say, Sarah, it's not going to be a good idea. <laughs> Reel it in. <laughs> well, you you gave some of the uh, most memorable moments, some of your some of your one liners. And I, I'm, I'm all you know, I'm a social media guy. So when I can find a clip that's short and small and just packs a punch and you provided those nonstop, you are always providing <laughs> amazing clips that to any American, any person that's actually watching and hearing these these questions that are all they're all manipulated. They're all trying to get you to say something that they want to say. Uh, you just you, you always seem to have the right proper comebacks. Well, I, I usually was just trying not to create any big problems. <laughs> and, you know, one of the things I learned at an early age is that, like you said, it's everything's in sound bites. Right. So the shorter and sweeter you can keep your message and not be afraid to repeat yourself because so often you want to say something new, but they kept asking the same questions right. over and over. And so I had to really concentrate on being disciplined and saying the same thing over so I didn't create two different messages coming out of the White House. And, um, you know, I, I often joke that being a parent was actually great preparation for being the White House press secretary. <laughs> I had young kids at the time when I first went into the White House, my youngest was one and a half. Wow. So very uh, good practice of repeating myself constantly, saying no a lot and having a lot of patience. <laughs> so my kids were the perfect prep work for going into the White House. Who was the worst in there? Um, I mean, I. There were several that were just really? so bad, but Acosta has to be at the top of that list if I'm, yeah. if I'm actually naming names. He decided early on that he would rather be the story than report the story. Mm. And he became so focused on having a viral moment so that he could make a name for himself instead of trying to get good information and good uh, facts out to the public. Do you think that those reporters... Um 
so-called journalists or hack journalists, in my opinion, do you think that they care that they're trying to mislead the American people? Do you think that they, I mean, it's almost like they're soulless. Do they actually believe the stuff they're saying or do you really think they just don't care? They're pushing a narrative because that's what they're paid to do. Well, I think some of them really are true liberals. And mm -hmm. so they have an agenda. And then to be totally fair, there are good reporters in that room. Mm -hmm. The bad thing is they're usually so drowned out mm -hmm. by the showmanship of those that are trying to make a name for themselves that you don't hear about or see them very often. But there are um, a handful of people people who come in every day that really try to do a good job and aren't trying to drive an agenda or put their bias into their story, but just report the news. Unfortunately, um, that's not the majority anymore. And I think they really have just decided that they don't like the president hmm. and they hate him more than they love our country. Yeah. And so that they would rather focus their time and the attention tearing him and everyone around him down instead of just reporting information and letting people make up their own minds. Well, I know that the president said it, that the mainstream media is the enemy of the people. Um, in my book, which I have a copy for you too, I call the, uh, the, I call the mainstream media, the liberal mainstream media, the KKK of today. Because the KKK, their whole goal was to manipulate, dominate, and control the people. And that's what it seems like the liberal mainstream media is doing, manipulate, dominate, control the people. I, I think you certainly have a section of the media that is definitely trying to uh, convince the public of something instead of inform them. Right. I've often said one of the most dangerous things that we've seen happen to journalism is news and opinion is totally blurred and there is no difference. And sometimes I'll have reporters tell me, no, 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 look at my story. It, it doesn't say anything. I'm like, yeah, but I also looked at the 25 tweets you put out this morning that were all attacking the president, that were attacking his team, attacking his staff. I said, you don't get to separate that and yeah. one of the big problems that we have now is there's no editorial process there's mm. no accountability for journalism when it comes to social media and so much uh, news is driven by a reporter's tweet far more so than the stories that they write. Right. And I, I've made that point to them many times. They're like, well, that's not the same thing. And I'm like, it is the same yeah. thing. If you're driving news and you work for a news outlet through your social media, there should be a check and balance. Absolutely. There. It shouldn't be full of your own personal thoughts and opinions. If you want to do that, have a separate account that's private, that's for your friends and family, not one that's public, that hundreds of other outlets will follow yep. and then base news stories off of it because you put it out on social media. And I think that's one of the more dangerous areas that we've seen and total collapse of journalism is through that format. Well, and that's what gave birth to me. You know, it's, I'm an alternative news source because I'm trying to bring the news to the people that they don't right. get from the, the mainstream media or they or not the narrative, you know, the mainstream media is driving a narrative. and. It opened the door for, I think most people get their news off of social media now yeah. instead of the normal historical outlets. Uh, which in, in some ways can be a great thing. I love that there are places I can go and get information and news that is not filtered or biased yeah. from you know, the, left, the left string media. But at the same time, so many people still watch these shows and believe that they're getting news when they're really getting opinions. Yep, they're getting a lot of a lot of opinions. And not very good opinions. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> not very good opinions. Again, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, her new book, Speaking for Myself, it is absolutely amazing. I'm not finished with it yet, but I am. Uh, I'm enjoying every minute of it. So, some of the behind the scenes. You talk about some of the candid behind the scenes moments that you've had with the president that that doesn't get talked about that you've shared in here, but most people don't even know of some of those 
instances. What are what are an instance or two you could share that the president uh, that shows his compassion, his empathy, and just his ability to really understand the heart of another person that works with him, you know, on his staff. Um, share share. I'm thinking of a couple from here, but yeah. share a, share one one or two. Probably one of the most impactful moments for me personally and exchanges I had with the president um, happened when we were in Japan. I'd had a pretty awful week, and I'd been attacked on my appearance, my fitness to be a mother, um, very personal attacks. And a lot of the people on staff, my own husband, everybody just sort of ignored it, hoping like if we don't bring it up, maybe yeah. like it goes away, um, and didn't really know how to address it. We were walking into a bilateral meeting with Prime Minister Abe. The president has everything in the world he needs to be focused on that has nothing to do with me. And instead, he stops and he says, Sarah, and he looks me straight in the eye. He says, you're smart. You're beautiful. The only reason they attack you is because you're good at your job. And wow. it's like in very colorful language. He kind of pops me on the shoulder <laughs> and he says, no, don't let them get you down and let's get back to work. And I was like, yes, sir. But he was the one That's who amazing. realized that I was having a tough time, mm. that I was hurting. And he was the one that stepped in, encouraged me and empowered me. And so often you hear about the president not being uh, a supporter of women when nothing could be further from the truth. I'm only the third woman to ever have the job as press secretary, the very first First mother, um, yes. Hold that role. And he was the one that empowered me while at the same time the liberal Democrats were attacking me for everything that had nothing to do with my politics, but everything that had to do with me as a person. Wow. While the president was the one defending me. And I don't think there's a better contrast for a picture of actual women's empowerment versus people who are only about empowering women as long as they agree with them. Yeah, that was a story that I was thinking about in there too. The fact that he's at this the G20. Yeah. He's there with world leaders. He's the most important person in the world, but he knew you were hurting inside or dealing with something that he felt like you were hurting. And the fact that he took the time to speak to you directly. I mean, that just speaks volumes. Okay, he has appointed, nominated uh, Amy Coney, uh, Coney Barrett. How do you how do you think his choice will will uh, go down for the I, Senate. Yeah, I'm ecstatic. I think she is a phenomenal choice. Um, I love that she is just a powerhouse. I mean, yes. she looks like she's not taking anything from anybody. Um, as a mom of only three kids, I can tell you if she has seven and yeah. she can keep that going <laughs> and keep everybody afloat, I have no doubt she can handle the crazy Democrats in the Senate. Yeah. And I think she's going to do a great job. She is just unparalleled when it comes to her legal experience and her capabilities. I think she is a tremendous um, asset to the Supreme Court. I think she's going to do very well. And um, I'll be honest, I'm less worried about her, but I am worried about the Democrats who try to come after her in those hearings, because I think she'll uh, not only hold her own, but definitely give it back to them full fold. Well, I'm uh, excited about her. I agree with you. I think she's a great choice. She should, uh, hopefully she'll sail through the Senate. Hopefully the Republicans will just, you know, confirm her fast and and uh, another, another historic SCOTUS pick for our president. Yeah. 
Um, how bad would a Kamala Biden candidacy be? And I say that because she's both said Kamala, Kamala Biden and he said it once too. How bad would that be for our country? I think it's very telling. They both know who's really in yes, charge. Yes, yes, they do. And it's not Joe Biden. I think no. the whole country knows um, that it's not Joe Biden. And frankly, that's why it's so scary is because he is not going to be in charge, but the radical left and the liberal mob, should that pair ever get elected and be in the White House, that's who will be running our government. And I think we've seen how awful that is and how terrifying that is in major cities all across the country. Yes. And nothing could be worse than unleashing the chaos that we've watched in Portland and Chicago and New York take place everywhere else. Right. And I think that's exactly what we can expect if we have Biden-Harris. I mean, I think you know as well as anybody, you spend a lot of time out on the road talking to people and seeing just how awful it would be and what the impact would look like. And I think it would be devastating to our country and maybe even something we couldn't recover from. Well, they've said they'd pack the SCOTUS court. Yeah. They said they'd do that. They'll pack the courts. I think that if, if for some reason they were to get elected, I think you're right. We may not ever recover as a country. So add D.C. and Puerto Rico as states. Right, exactly. And, you know, making a, things more lopsided and harder to, to push good government through. Yeah. All right. What about, uh, I, I love the aspect that you talk about. You sprinkle your, your faith in there. I actually wrote this, uh, this, this statement. Um, I copied it down from your book and, uh, you know, you've probably gotten a lot of the, well, you must be a racist, right? You support <laughs> yeah. the president. He's a racist. You're a racist. Um, who said this? Let me see. I have only a short time to live, only one death to die, and I will die fighting for this cause. There will be no peace in the land until slavery is done for. That was, was that Lincoln? John Brown. Oh, John Brown. I yeah. Should, yeah, my husband. I should and your husband's this. ranch. Can, I was like, how can I not know this is John Brown? I totally like, put you on the spot. I, I, yeah, you threw me off because I didn't know that was coming from the book. Um, so my husband is an avid historian yeah. and history buff. And so he has studied. I've actually been to the tiny little John Brown Museum that's in the middle of nowhere in Kansas more wow. than once wow. because he has drug us there. But we got married or engaged at his family's ranch that is right along the Pottawatomie River where the Pottawatomie massacre took place wow. um, and John Brown hid out there for a brief period of time and one of the houses that is on their property is still still standing wow. now that um, was wow. part of that uh, time frame and so um, we I've learned a lot about John Brown more than I ever thought I probably would have during that time. But we got engaged out there on his family's farm and have spent many, many uh, weekends and time with our kids and stuff out there. So they've had it in their family, I think, about almost 65, 70 years. Wow. So good. Um, your mom was told she'd never walk and never have kids. What happened that she was told that. Yeah, so my mom had a tumor in her spinal canal. My parents hadn't been married very long. Um, she was just shy of her 21st birthday. Uh, they got married when they were 18 and have now been married 46 years. I wow. Think so, um, That's amazing. Yeah. And, um, but at the time when they, they thought she had a slipped disc and went in and discovered she actually had a tumor in her spinal canal. And in order to get it out, they said there's a very strong chance um, you may not make it out of the surgery to wow. begin with. If you do, there's a very high likelihood you'll never walk 
and you most certainly will never have kids. And not only has she walked, she has run a marathon. Um, she is on the International Board for Habitat for Humanity and has built houses literally all over the world um, over the last 25 years. And she's had three kids. So um, thank God for she's, that. She's a, a miracle who has defied all the odds. Um, and people always say, oh, did you get your toughness from your dad? And I'm like, no, oh, you haven't met my mom. <laughs> she is a uh, strong and very tough Southern woman. And uh, I would definitely not cross her. So yeah, it, does, it doesn't sound like it. I was like, Jim, be careful. I'm going to call my mom and you're not going to like what happens. So. That's awesome. All right. Faith, you, you talk about faith in there. Uh, share with us how important is faith to you? It's everything. Um, you know, one of the reasons I was able to do my job is because I had the confidence of knowing who I was before I ever became the White House press secretary. Wow. I didn't need the New York Times or CNN or the Washington Post to define me. Mm. I have a creator who had already done that and given my life purpose. And knowing that I could go so in good. and face that room every yeah. day and not do that alone and know that if I fell on my face, I would still, uh, you know, have a creator who loved me and had a plan for my life. Yeah. And so that allowed me to do that job for two and a half years without it. I don't think I could have done it. Well, it makes sense. I mean, you literally seem like you would go through hell every time you'd step up to that podium to speak and uh, having the confidence to know whose you are you know, who made us and, and be on that track. Uh, it's something that unless you have it, you just don't know what you're missing. Yeah. Um, to me, it seems like the, the current fight that we're in right now, this, this heightened political climate, it really seems like it's becoming more and more a battle between good versus evil. What would you, what would you say? I, I don't think you could be any more right on that. Um, we are at, I think, a crossroads in our country of who we're going to be. Mm. Who is America going to be? We are either going to continue to be a force for good in this world, um, or we are going to allow the evil of this world to destroy us and turn us into something different. And I think that's one of the reasons this is the most consequential election of our lifetime. We're either going to continue to be a country that values life and sees all life as sacred, or one that sees it as expendable. Hmm. We're either going to be a country that focuses on helping everybody and giving them opportunity to make their own decisions and be free in order to do that, or we're gonna become a country that dictates who gets to succeed and hmm. how they get to do it and what it looks like when they get there. And I could not feel more strongly that this election has so much to do with who America is going to be um, in the years to come. It's one of the reasons that I'm so focused and so committed to helping the president get reelected. Well, we're thankful that you are on that track and course. Um, uh, we, we need to make sure that he gets reelected. And I think Americans are waking up to realize that it is a battle between good versus evil. Uh, the fact that the president signed an executive order to make sure that babies that survive abortions, if they're born alive, they're going to get medical treatment. You know, that's just a beautiful thing. It's sad that he would even have to do something like that, but, um, but he did. So one, one, one more question. I know that, um, the rock came out and gave his support to Kamala and Biden, Dwayne Johnson, The yeah. Rock. What would you say to, to The Rock if you could say anything to him as to why he would do something so dastardly ignorant? <laughs> he, he, mind you, he didn't reach out to Trump. No. He sat down with Kamala and Biden 
and he's throwing his weight behind. Well, I, I think that I, I'm sad to see how so many people um, in Hollywood have latched on to the Democrat Party and the liberal mob, and I think they are going to regret those decisions. Um, and when Donald Trump wins re-election, I think they're all going to be pretty sad. <laughs> But look, at the end of the day, I think we can find some more people to be in movies, but yes. we can only find a few people who are willing to stand up and keep fighting for our country like the president has done and continues to do. And I'm happy about that. So I'm fine if we have to find some some new actors and actresses to watch from time to time. But I'm glad Donald Trump will still be our president. He will be. He will absolutely still be our president. One final question. What didn't make the book? Was there something that you wanted to put in there that didn't make it in? Anything you can think of that maybe you had to take out or you wanted to put it in there and it just didn't? Yeah, there's a few good moments. So I also had to go through a White House security clearance process and a couple um, things that obviously I can't share because I couldn't share in the book. Oh, okay. Um, but maybe one day I'll get to tell those stories. They'll come, uh, they'll get declassified and I'll get to share some of that. But there were um, probably a few other um, difficult moments that mm. I could have shared, but I, I wanted the book really to be positive. My experience mm. was positive. I loved working for the president. I'm proud of the job that we did. And I wanted people to be inspired and reminded why we love America yeah. and why we love this president and for people to see that side, to see his heart, to see my heart and it be more of an inspiration and not all of the, the, the dark side of the job, but a lot of the good side. And so that's really what I chose to focus the most on. Well, it comes across. I know I got a greater uh, appreciation love for the president, a greater appreciation love for you as well. Um, it seems like the journey that you had through growing up, just your years and then your years in politics and working on campaigns, God really crafted and prepared you to be able to work for the president. Um, do you think you'll run for office one day? Uh, I'm definitely very serious about it. Arkansas governor's race uh, will be an open seat in 2022, but right now my focus is helping the president get reelected. I'd like to see us hold the Senate and I would love to take back the House and yes. never utter the word Speaker Pelosi again. Yes. So <laughs> I'm going to focus on that for 2020. And yeah. once we get through that, I'll make a decision about the governor's race in Arkansas. Awesome. Well, I think you'd be an amazing Arkansas governor. And I, too, am tired of having to say Speaker Pelosi. We need to take back the House. We need to keep the Senate and we need four more years of President Donald J. Trump. And I brought you a gift. You travel all over the place. You never know where you're going to be, where these, uh, this comes in really <laughs> handy. Yes. All right. Keep America great on one side and Trump 2020 on the other. I love it. I do this in the airport. Oh, I know. And you always, I was telling some of my friends, I was like, I love David. He's so fearless, always has his MAGA hat on wherever he goes. And I think it's so great. Be careful though, because you know, you keep talking like this. We may have to put your name on a ballot at some point. Pretty soon. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'd have to hear from God very directly. I mean, I think there's a lot of people who would like to see that. I don't know if your wife would be on board. So we may have to get her. There yeah. Now. You might have to talk but to I my wife on that one. There are people around the country that would love to, to see somebody as tough and outspoken and principled as you out there. We need hmm. more people like that. So I'm well, not thank you. On it yet. Well, thank you for that. I'll keep that in mind. Uh, get Sarah's book, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, speaking for myself, faith, freedom, and the fight of our lives inside the Trump White House. You will absolutely love it. Spread the word. Sarah, thank you so, so much for joining me today. It's thank been you. truly an honor and a blessing.
always good to be with you. All right. God bless you guys. We'll see you guys again next uh, next time. Bye-bye.